0: You'd throw him across to, the room. You didn't
1: have to make him break a bunch of shit. You
0: know, he's just up there crawling around, looking at shit, waiting on you to die <laughs> so <laughs> he could eat you. Yeah, Cats I mean, I have, are that way. Every time you know? I see Nikki post something on Instagram, I'm glad she's still
1: alive. Yeah, because fucking
0: <laughs> massive that, if I could fat cat it, eat half her face off. <laughs> if Alex gets home, half of Nikki's face is gone. <laughs> Cat's been feeding on Nikki. <laughs> feeding on Nicky. They <laughs> start at the face, you know. And then, as opposed to hyenas, which start at the butthole. <laughs> do they really? Yeah, I think they do, yeah. It's the easiest way in. <laughs> They'd rather have the guts than the <clears throat> than the muscle meat. Yeah, the organs are- Oh, yeah. That's where all the nutrition is. Yeah. Oh, why do we eat steaks? I uh, we're, hyenas are smarter than we are. We eat steaks. They eat guts. We They have a lousy sense of smell. Either that or they interpret their sense of smell differently than we do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. We're here with Dr. Austin Baraki and uh, following up on our little series of discussions with, with Austin about, uh, about things that uh, uh, are silly bullshit. And uh, uh, this next little discussion we want to have is a, is a departure from the silly bullshit because what we're about to talk about is not silly at all. And we're going to talk about pain. Pain, the way it's treated, the way it's approached, the way its treatment is approached and all of the money that has been wasted on the treatment of pain, uh, the emphasis on the treatment of pain, and also the neglect of treatment of pain, which is an important topic as well. Austin, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, there's, I've had a lot of surgery mm-hmm. because I'm both careless, and uh and and stupid about lots and lots of things I haven't sat in the chair all of my life, and I've been injured quite a bit and i've I've had a lot of surgery I've had wrecks and been bucked off of horses and been kind of kind of screwed up several times've had lots and lots of surgery and uh my fr- in fact, my first serious knee surgery was uh in, uh, that would have been in 1994. And I completely deranged my, my right knee in a motorcycle wreck. And my God, that hurt. You, it, I, I have, it, it hurt bad for months. It was, it was a bad, bad, bad thing for, for a lot of months. It was uh, the, the surgeon who worked on the knee and reconstructed it for me did a uh um uh, an autograft patellar tendon autograft to reconstruct the ACL. So he dug around on my on my tibial plateau and my patella and harvested that graft out of the middle of the thing and used some of it to uh to make me a new ACL. And you know subsequent to that that surgery, I ruptured the graft in two different stages, so the whole damn thing was a waste of time. But, and I still don't have an ACL on the right knee, and it really hadn't been that big a deal. But at the time, the pain from that massive invasive intervention was 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 really bad. It was it was, uh, you know, eight level pain for, and I, I no shit eight level pain for for several weeks constant and yeah. constant all day all night constant eight level pain and the guy that did the surgery was in the habit of prescribing tylenol for the pain after cutting you <laughs> tylenol for it was no you didn't know you don't get any of this nasty hydrocodone stuff and and I'll have to say that uh, in my particular situation, opiate analgesics don't do anything anyway. I'm one of those people that I'm sure you've run into them that uh, I don't know if, if the substance is metabolized before it receives, before it gets to the receptor side or what the mechanism of that is. Steph's told me about nine times and I can't remember, but it's, uh, they don't work. They don't work. I can take five hydrocodone and it doesn't do anything except keep me from taking a leak. Uh, but it, but it's, it's terrible for analgesia. However, Ketorolac, Toradol works pretty well for this stuff. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, being in a hospital on the third night after the surgery, I was still on, they didn't discharge people back then. Uh, And I was still in this good thing. I was still in the hospital and I was in so much pain. I remember my parents walking into the room and I think I had a seizure. I think I seized which means I was probably approaching number nine pain and I couldn't talk. I was thrashing around in the bed and I couldn't talk. And uh, nurse comes in, sees the situation, runs down the hall, comes back with a CC of IM Toradol, puts it in my butt 60 seconds later, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Hmm. It's, it was amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. And the argument in subsequent discussions I've had with people about this is that he should not have let you get into that situation to begin with. Yep. Pain management after surgery, after orthopedic surgery, is, very, is becoming thought of as very, very important. You have to stay ahead of it. Yeah. Right? So there's there's real. that. Right. And in addition to that, very important topic, there's the over management of paint. So let's talk about all of this. Yeah. This may yeah. take a while.
1: Yeah. So paint is real. It, it It's a whole lot more complicated than we used to think it was. And um, and we'll kind of get to where where you ended up eventually. But the what I'd like to contrast and it, it, it's kind of where. I started in the article that I wrote as comparing kind of our traditional understanding of pain versus kind of the way we see it now. And and, um, the traditional concept is based on the idea that at some peripheral tissue site, there is tissue damage. Tissue damage irritates nerve receptors or nociceptors that sense pain. They send a signal. They yell up your nerves to your spinal cord. That goes up to your brain. Your brain hears the signal that's saying we hurt down here, and that's when you become conscious and you immediately localize the pain at the site that it was sent from in proportion to the intensity of the signal that was sent up to the brain. Turns out, for the most part, that's pretty inaccurate as to how pain works. In acute pain settings, for example, after you get your knee sliced open, after you get in a car wreck and you get an open fracture of your femur or something like that, after really horrific acute injuries – there is a large degree of tissue injury and it does cause pain localizing to that site but as you alluded to in your experience where you were lying in the bed unable to talk shaking you know in just hy- just hysterical pain is also now recognized to be part of an emotional experience and i say that not jokingly in the context of us talking about how things feel all the time and everybody's feelings but it is an emotional experience, and your that experience your your emotions, your brain, your mental state influences how you feel and how you perceive that pain as well. So what we've realized is that the signals actually go kind of both ways. There is some localizing signal from the tissue, and then our brain projects our emotions on top of that, projects our experience, projects our mental state. Um, a lot of different variables go into that to help us decide what we feel, where we feel it, and how bad it feels. And so the fact that the brain plays such a big role in it introduces a whole lot more complexity to the problem. Um, And so that's kind of where I started with the article that, that I wrote about aches and pains before, is that it's not as simple as just tissue injury leads to pain. And so that's the model that traditional medical practitioners and even a lot of the allied health professions, et cetera, that we talked about in the previous segment, that's the model that their uh, assessment and their treatment is built on. You tell them, I hurt here, they look here in whatever, regarding whatever modality of choice they practice in. So, If it's a massage therapist, they'll look at your muscles there. If it's an orthopedic surgeon, he'll look at your bones and your ligaments there. If it's an internal medicine doctor like me, you'll look at what organs are under there and see what organs are hurting like is it your heart or is it your liver or your esophagus or whatever and then that's the first place we look and we try to intervene on that but that doesn't work all the time particularly in pain that has been going on for a little while which is part of the problem so as you said with MAC just about everything heals except cancer right so most acute injuries have healed in about six weeks or so the the injured damaged tissue is pretty much taken care of one way or another whether it's healed into back into a normal functional state like we talk about when we star rehab people or if it's healed by scarring or fibrosis or whatever mechanism of healing is taking place unless it's an inflammatory situation which is
0: a which is a
1: different situation entirely yeah and so residual pain beyond that lingering pain particularly for example like chronic low back pain which I think I saw three folks with chronic low back pain just this morning um, (laughs) it's a lot more complicated and so that's where people can fall into a whole lot of traps. And um, they kind of, you know, dovetailing from the, seg- the first segment we did where we talked about someone finding something and pinning their diagnosis on that immediately, uh, that happens a whole lot. Yeah. So, you know, and, 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 and then it also goes into the whole integrator problem, right? So I, this is kind of what I talked about in my article where you, you go to a chiropractor, they'll feel your back and say, oh, this vertebrae is out of alignment. There's your pain. Let me pop it back in. You go to a massage therapist for the same pain and they say, oh, this muscle's real tight. I need to work on it for a while. An hour later and 150 bucks poorer, you walk out after they've massaged the heck out of your muscle wondering if you feel better or not. Maybe you've got some bruises or something on your back left to to show for it. You go to a doctor, they'll MRI
0: you, find your arthritis, find your slit disc or bulging disc or whatever. Whatever back pathology will most assuredly be there if you're over the age of 25.
1: Say there's your problem, there's you your need problem. surgery or you need physical therapy or you need whatever. And then you go to a physical therapist and they kind of blend the modalities of the other three and tell you, oh, you've got this you know, posture issue, there's muscle tightness or this muscle imbalance or this mobility problem or whatever their kind of technique of choice is and try to intervene on that. And It doesn't work uh, in a satisfactory, to a satisfactory degree in enough people because they're not addressing the mechanism. If it was really related to that mechanism, then the evidence for, say, spinal manipulation in chiropractic would be way better than it is, but the evidence is terrible for it. The evidence is not good, and they will all doggedly cling to their mechanism of pain that a one-degree imbalance in your your SI joint or your pelvis or your shoulder angle or whatever is going to result in all this pain, and then I see patients with horrific scoliosis, no pain, how do those two things reconcile? Right. Because it's not always the tissue. That's where that's where kind of the problem results from.
0: Well, it's the it's it's a lot to do with the perception of how you think you're supposed to feel, I would imagine, which would explain the difference between uh, my father's experience in World War II and that of the precious children on the campus of Yale University in 2016. Right, we have two different sets of expectations about how things are supposed to be mm-hmm. that would have a profound effect on your interpretation of what you're feeling and uh it's 2016. But, how, but how do we address this yeah
1: so it's it's, it's <coughs> real challenging and so in 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 my practice i try to do as much education as i can to patients but sometimes the you know, they've, they've already been damaged by previous, you know, by, by people they've seen before. The fact that they've gotten an MRI, for example, is already an independent predictor of worsening pain and poor response to traditional therapies. The fact that you, because the fact that you were sent for an MRI confirms to you that, shit.
0: Something's my back, wrong.
1: My back is messed up.
0: I've got something wrong. Yeah. And shit that's wrong
1: hurts. The fact that you're even seeing a surgeon in the clinic, not even in the operating room, even seeing a clinic for a consultation, man, they're thinking about surgery. This must be real bad. And so it frames your mindset. And it's the same. I mean, I've had, I've had, um, you know, I've seen veterans at, who've, who've been through a whole lot, and they are some of the most stoic people I've ever seen. And then, you know, conversely, I see people who've, you know, are hysterical with 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 pain out of something that would be apparently kind of minor. Hang and, on. and and I kind of have, I mean, I have no choice. I don't have a pain meter. I kind of have to take them at their word for that's how bad it feels to them, right? But, um, but the mindset is a huge, a huge um, confounding factor in everything, especially in chronic pain. And so my goal for people, particularly people with chronic pain um, that I see on the strength coaching side of my practice, more so than my clinical side where it's harder for me to get people to train, is – to educate them, to teach them, that, tell explain to them that they're not broken, that what I'm about to teach them might be uncomfortable at first, but it's not going to break them, their spine isn't going to explode, their discs aren't going to dissolve or whatever, has been threatened uh, in the past, and reduce their fear and anxiety about what's going on, and then safely take them through ranges of motion that they previously perceived to be threatening or dangerous, a little bit at a time, even if it means, that I can't teach them the full lifts on day one. I need to take them through ranges of motion that they were apprehensive about before so that their mind kind of eases off uh, in terms of how they perceive that pain. And, uh, and I, I try to avoid narcotic pain medications because in, in you, you mentioned that they don't work. In most people, they work really, really, really well. Really,
0: really, really well, yes.
1: But the way they work is the problem the way they work is that they make you not care about the pain.
0: They don't actually mediate the pain itself.
1: They They alter
0: your perception. And and this may be an important clue here uh, to uh, some of these pain syndromes. They alter your perception of the pain. They make you don't they make you not care that you're Mm -hmm. in pain. You still perceive the pain. You just don't care about it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And uh, I think tramadol is kind of a kind of important step in that direction because it does the same thing. In people who it works for, it doesn't work for me. But in in people who it works for, Tramadol uh, produces that same uh, apathy reaction to pain without at the same time uh, modifying your uh, uh, psychological state. And uh, it, it may improve it because you're not you, you're not worried about hurting anymore, but but uh, uh, perhaps yeah. that is an interesting step in the right direction. Uh, so, what do you what do you do with someone with a with a chronic pain syndrome like uh, fibromyalgia? What is what do you think fibromyalgia is? Yeah, should it be treated? <laughs> Is it a bullshit diagnosis, as I've heard from a lot and lot, a lot of people, it's just a bullshit catch-all diag. It's not a diagnosis. It's, it's a descriptive a description of the symptoms, not really a diagnosis. Uh, say it's. I would say it's
1: actually, a, I don't even know how well of a description it is of the symptoms. I don't know what, I mean, the fibro part of the term, I don't know what that has to do with the diagnosis. The myalgia, sure. I mean, I've, right. these, these, these people hurt. Um, and so... The extent to which it is a concrete uh, singular diagnosis versus a spectrum of chronic pain syndromes is not totally clear to me. Um, we don't really have a great understanding of it, but what, the things we do know um, include that it does have a major predominance in females over males. It has a very, very, very high association with uh, men- mental illness, not mental illness like psychosis so much or you know people that... And do crazy things out in the world, but people who are depressed and people who are real anxious, and it ties into kind of the mechanism of pain that we have described before, where their outlook on the world and the life uh, on their and their life manifests in them as somatic symptoms, as pain in certain places, right. and it results in very unfortunate, very extensive, very expensive medical workups because hey, we have to rule out bad things, right? If you tell right. me that you have this horrific back pain. Yeah, I have to make sure that you're not having an aortic dissection.
0: Have to, like, 100. Right.
1: Right. I have to. But
0: sure, how many times? If so you over walk and over- in with back pain like that and you don't have a triple A, yeah, then we've got to rule out, you know, metastatic bone cancer. And so, All how kinds many- of, times- every one of those things is hideously expensive, and, yeah. and especially in today's uh, Leak- economic. Environment in which the the resources just may not be available for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so it's real challenging. So uh, I'm you know there's there's certainly no wonderful success story about how things like fibromyalgia have been cured. But the general approach um, should involve lots of education. Should involve generally. Avoiding narcotics when possible because of their effects, their lack of effects on the actual pain mechanism, and that they cause depression in patients and all kinds of other side effects. Oh yeah, um, and 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 helping people move more, participate in activities they enjoy in, getting them exercising, getting them moving through these ranges of motion. Um, and so, what's nice with what we do with barbell training is, yeah, you can look at it and say, yeah, that's just the exercise component, right? But we have Coaches on our staff who have experienced this with their prior chronic pain, I've talked to some of them, as well as countless clients and and, and, and other coaches' clients who've experienced not just the exercise effects, the physical effects of barbell training, but all the psychological effects, too, that can't even be quantified, right? Building confidence is a huge one. Not being afraid is a huge one. And and, and those are the kinds of things that can really modulate people's experience of pain on a day-to-day basis. And… and I think, I think it's something that is, I mean, I have a horribly difficult time trying to get my patients to even do minimal amounts of exercise in the outpatient world because of the patient population
0: that I see, but um, hopefully one day I'll be able to do a better job of it. So it, in, at this point in the development of your career and your approach to these kinds of problems, what would you, uh, what would you say is your general approach to a patient presenting with pain that has no immediate acute cause, so once I they don't have that, a broken femur. Yeah, once They've I ruled
1: got, out the organic causes of pain, so to speak, um, and really ruled them out. I need to make sure that I need to make sure that they're stable up here, and there's not anything hiding. There's not depression hiding, anxiety hiding, substance abuse hiding things that can be majorly confounding factors, and those need to be addressed. I need to make sure that there's physical activity to, a degree happen, to, to the degree that I can get them to do it occurring, whether that be merely physical activity, whether that be exercise, whether that be actual training. The more I can push them down that spectrum, I think the more success that I'm going to have. Um, trying to avoid narcotic pain medications as much as I can for chronic pain syndromes, uh, which can be a challenge sometimes. These patients can be um, challenging. To work with, they can be very demanding. They can be, uh, they can be difficult, rude, hard to work with. But we do the best we can with them sometimes, mm-hmm. because they're desperate, right? And uh, it's a situation where we're not doing them much. We're not doing them favors by, you know, getting putting them on morphine for the rest of their life, right. you know. So I think that would, uh, and and then lots of education about the nature of pain, the nature of their pain, reassuring them that. There's not something going on that we've missed because that's always a major suspicion in these patients, right? Um, we have to be awfully confident when we say that, right? Right. <laughs> uh, because then right. you look like you idiot. miss a tumor. You you're, yeah. You know. You have once you want, but once you're confident, once the patients had a couple workups for their pain, and you can pretty confidently say, you know, their labs are normal, their imaging is normal, their what everything else that you've looked at is all right, then uh, then then you can afford to provide that education where you say. It's a good thing that we haven't found anything now. This is what we think is going on with your pain. It's not a threat and here are the steps to help you get better. And you know, I don't have data right. on how often that succeeds or it fails, but I think that's the best approach that we can have nowadays with chronic pain syndromes at least.
0: Right. Yeah, it's probably better to avoid creating a new problem to uh to solve an older one. And uh it's good that that uh, this process is being rethought in, in at least some practitioners. Uh, yeah. There are older guys out there that are in general, in, in a GP practice, you know, in smaller markets around the country. there are several of them here in, in town that are not going to change their approach. No. They're not gonna change their approach. They have a pen, they have a pad, and they're gonna write some stuff on the pad and they're gonna give it to you and they're gonna send you to the pharmacy. And that's all that's going to happen because they're, they're, they're not interesting mean. in rethinking their approach. Yeah. And, and sometimes uh,
1: patients aren't interested in it either. No. So sometimes patients will look for those kind of doctors because they expect to see a doctor and walk out with a script, which is right. unfortunate, but that's the way it is sometimes. Well, and that's,
0: uh, that's what everybody's happy that way. Yeah. Except that the pain doesn't go away. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it leaves uh, you more immobile, more debilitated, weaker, more frail, sicker. In yeah, but that's kind of the expectation. In a lot of those patients, they know yep. they're not—they're not interested in function; they're interested in relief. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the extent they obtain it uh, with a prescription, they're—they're they're essentially happy. And it's—I uh, think it's extremely uh, uh, courageous of you to. Uh, Go against that trend because uh, you could probably get away with doing it the other way.
1: Yeah, sure, but it'd, it'd be, be
0: but it'd be wrong. Yeah, it'd be real easy. It'd be wrong. It'd be easier, yeah. but it would be wrong. And wrong is just fine with lots and lots and lots of doctors. And uh, we're happy that uh, Dr. Baraki is associated with us. Uh, Austin, thanks for being with us again. And We'll look forward to your articles on the website yep. and uh, keep them coming, man. They're always challenging and informative. And thank you for watching us on the podcast this time. We'll see you next time.